and make sure you don't make the same mistake twice and, and move on. When you walk through fire, keep walking. What are you going to do? So, but those, those situations that are, they make your character stronger, they make you realize that you're human and they make you realize that yeah, you, one day you were the director of operations of Nobu uh, restaurants worldwide. But the day after you can be, uh, how I'm going to pay this mortgage, the mortgage. So you have to be ready for everything. Welcome to the Hospitality Mentor Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Turk. Join me as we dive into the personal stories of some of the world's best hospitality professionals. We follow the journey of their ups, downs, and wild turns to find out what it truly takes to make it in the amazing world of hospitality. This episode is brought to you by our podcast partners at Real-Time Reservation. Their inventory management system is best in class for hotels and resorts to manage their non-room inventory. The web-based application allows for creative upselling of overnight and daytime visitors with add-ons and pre-planned packages. Hotel guests and non-guests can reserve cabanas, pool chairs, activities, amenities, excursions, events, day passes, and much more. The real-time reservation platform offers a fully integrated pre-arrival portal where guests are verified through the property management system. Guests can prepay for cabanas and activities through credit card integrations, which are then processed through point of sale. All of our listeners that might be interested in using real-time reservation are welcome to explore the demo at realtimereservation.com. Once again, that's realtimereservation.com. Welcome to another edition of the Hospitality Mentor Podcast. Today, we have a very special person here. He is the man from Nobu Hospitality that has no title on his business card because he does so much for them. Santiago Rodriguez, welcome to the show. I appreciate you being here. Thank you very much, Steve, for having me. Very, very happy to be at the show. I'm very happy to see how good you're doing with the show and with all your your business. Well, I appreciate you taking the time. I know how busy you are. We'll get into all the stuff you're doing now. But I want to start with what was your first job in hospitality? What made you get hooked on this industry? First job, it wasn't, let's say, for the love of the industry. It's just like a more that uh, I was kind of a troublemaker. Mm -hmm. uh, at the age of 14, I decided that uh, I wanted to make uh, money. <laughs> so <laughs> a friend of mine had a, a small bar in my hometown, Oviedo, north of Spain. And they were looking for a bar back. I was 14, which was not uh, very legal to work. However, nobody asked uh, questions back in the days. Mm -hmm. So I started uh, as a bar back in, in this small bar called Tertulias in Oviedo. And do you remember what your first day was like as a 14-year-old walking into a bar? Yeah, it was like uh, it was like walking into a it was like walking into a movie theater or into a almost like into a into a theater, walking into a movie more than movie theater. Like all of a sudden I was on the stage and I felt so good and everybody was looking at me and the, all of a sudden, all the girls, they calling you by the name. And 
you're making drinks and you're making people happy. And the moment I knew that was my that was my passion, that was my future. I love it, man. That's a great way to start. 14-year-old in the bar, bar back. I'm sure were you experimenting and tasting some things back then? Well, I was uh, I was having some fun. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's good. So at that bar, did you continue working there and like grow into being coming a bartender? Was that how it well, started growing? Yeah, I became, uh, after a few months, because I, I suddenly I became like very passionate, like I fall in love with the industry right away, and uh, I became very curious about it. It was a small bar, but they had a very good uh, cocktail program. I mean, nothing compared to what we have nowadays with all these uh, mixologists and all these uh, great things that the guys are doing. But uh, I was very, I got into it very quick. So I started asking out of questions. I started working my way up. And in less than three months, I was, uh, became a bartender. That's amazing. Right? So you were a 14-year-old bartender, 15-year-old bartender. 15, 15 already. <laughs> So you've been in this since you were, were young. So I love that you start growing through it. Now, as you're going and doing this bartending, are you in school at the same time? Yeah, I was uh, I was going to school at the same time. And what did your family think of you doing that? Well, uh, I guess they were okay with uh, as long as I was doing okay at, uh, at the school. And the fact that uh, I was doing something that uh, I really like and somehow kept me out of trouble, it was uh, it was okay with them. I mean, my mom always let me, uh, she always said, uh, do your thing, just uh, be happy, do what you love. If it's hospitality, it's hospitality. If you want to be a painter, be a painter, whatever you do, do your best and do something that you really love. So they, they, they saw that I really love hospitality and they always support me. That's awesome. That's a great kind of family to have. You know, I think that shows in a lot of the conversations we've had, you hear that over and over again is the, the family really supporting people following their hospitality dream. So as you're growing, man, you're in school, you finish high school, right? As a, uh, I, guess I, finished high school. Uh, I went to hospitality university, in my hometown, never finished the whole degree. Mm -hmm. to, I was very willing to leave my small hometown. I mean, not that small, but I wanted to explore the world, see what's going on. So I first, uh, through the university, I got a job with a rich family in the French Brittany working as a, as a, I was almost like a au pair chef, driver, you know, almost like a butler. The man with uh, no title. You were the man at no title at the yeah, beginning. That's where the title started because I had to take care of the kids. I had to keep the car clean. I had to cook for the kids and the grandmother. I had to help the grandfather with the garden. So, yeah, pretty much doing whatever they asked me. That's amazing. And so how does that continue your transition? Where do you go from there? Well, uh, I saw that uh, I really enjoyed being in the service and hospitality industry. And from there, I, I thought, uh, oh, I, my idea was like, well, this is a, this is a good gig. But the, first, the money wasn't great. It was actually pretty bad. I was making around maybe $150, $200 <laughs> a 
a month. Wow. I mean, so it was like many years ago. So, but I thought that the future, I it was into moving to a into England or some kind of a English-speaking country where I could big city, so I could have a, learn more and get a a better opportunity. So I moved to London. Ah, big change. That was a huge change. Yeah, that was tough. Yeah. And so, did you go to London with knowing what you were going to do, or you said, "I'm going I to know, London"? I went to London with uh, I don't know, 500 bucks in my pocket and a small suitcase and a three a three piece suit, so I could go to the interviews. And I'm very very hungry to to get a job and start my new life in London. So, uh, that the best cocktail bars and restaurants. They're here, so I'm sure I can do very good. And so with your three-piece suit, and for the listeners, Santi is always probably one of the best dressed in the room. So you wear your three-piece suit to the interviews. Where, where did you end up? Well, I, that was the, the three-piece three suit. The three suit put me to the reality that the, although my suit was very low. Uh, by the way, back in the day, I had hair. <laughs> just like you i put like a tongue of gel and i look very handsome so but i couldn't speak a word of english so mm. i mean if you think i have an accent now so yeah maybe, back so then back then so but forget about i couldn't understand a word of english i remember i got a i was sitting at the four seasons in park lane filling up at the application form. Back in the day, you have to go to the hotel, ask for the HR manager, get the application form, fill it up, and you wait for them to call you or email, I mean, or send you a letter, no email back in the day. So when I was filling up the application, this gentleman came and asked me, what do you apply? What position do you apply? I couldn't understand a word of what he was saying, but uh, somebody spoke Spanish and kind of translate or, you know, we're looking like, oh, I want to be a bartender. And the guy said, well, how can you be a bartender? You can't speak a word of English. This is the four season park lane. You know, some of the highest uh, people in society, like uh, politicians, royalty, they come to this bar. Yeah, best of the best. So, you know, you need to communicate with them. <laughs> and I look at him and I say, well, Eventually, I can learn. <laughs> Eventually, that's too. So he says, sorry, no no chance. But I said to the gentleman, well, uh, do you have any kind of jobs where the, you know, English is not the, the first requirement? So he said, well, we're looking for, uh, we're looking for housekeepers. Back in the day, I had no idea what a housekeeper was. I'm like, well, what is a housekeeper? Mm -hmm. So basically, I have to clean the rooms, and do the job of the housekeeping. So I said, sure, I take it. So I started my career at in London as a as a housekeeper at the Four Seasons. Well, so you got in, but you got into the Four Seasons, one of the best in the world. And the gentleman who hired me, his name was uh, Mr. Staus, who I think now is one of the big uh, positions. I mean, he was such a nice. I had no idea the guy was the GM of the of the hotel, but he treated me so. He was so kind and nice to me that I think he was my, you know, one of the first uh, times I realized how important being nice to people or employees uh, it is.
it was very empathetic and he realized I was in London, I was broke, I needed a job and he helped me to get a job. You know, especially at that level, right? You think about some GMs you've worked with, would they stop in the lobby to talk to someone? With no, no, not even the lobby. It's a small, a small office in the, in the HR department. So in the back. Amazing, right? Like you think about that chance. He, if he hadn't walked by, where life would be. It'd be completely different. All my respects to Mr. Staus, whatever he is now. All right, Mr. Staus, we'll make sure to send this to you so you can hear the shout out. All right, so you're in housekeeping, which is very different from the bar scene and au pair work that you were doing. So how long are you in housekeeping? Do you move up or do you stay there? That's hard. For almost for a year. Then I would say also the four seasons that we we did a lot of events. So I was doing like a, a lot of extras, like working banqueting, silver service, all that. And until one day, one of my flatmates told me that... Uh, Nobu, which was a Japanese uh, restaurant next door, the Four Seasons, they were hiring bartenders. So I wear my three-piece suit. Mm-hmm. I went to Nobu for an interview. My English was still not the best, but uh, from my days in France, my French was already better. And I was very lucky that the gentleman who interviewed me for the bartender position uh, Stefan Guichateau, French, he helped me on the interview with French and Spanish. So they hired me as a bartender back in 90, October 98. No wow. So that's an amazing jump. I didn't know that part of your story. Where you go from housekeeper to Four Seasons to now bartender at we would say one of the, the best restaurants in is Nobu, right? It's an amazing jump. Yeah, but it was so funny because I had no idea that I mean, I walk into the restaurant and say, what is this novel thing? Got the table, tablecloth, chopsticks. I mean, I had no clue about Japanese food. So when you got there, you didn't know who Chef Nobu was, right? Didn't know about the whole Matsuhisa and everything that comes along with it. No clue. I was like, why is there being raw fish here? It's <laughs> amazing. So, all right. For the listeners now, can you give a little bit, for someone who may not know what Nobu Restaurant is or what it's all about, can you just give a quick you know, minute explanation? What, why is that so important to people? Because it really is something cool we'll get into. Well, Nobu, the chef, and Nobu, the, the brand, they're two of the most probably uh, game-changing, I don't know how you call it, thing, not things, but... Uh, events that happen to to culinary. So Nobu as a chef, he he went through a lot. For me to know his story a little bit, he he started as a sushi chef very young. Then he he migrated to a different country. He opened a restaurant in Alaska. Restaurant burned down the second or third week. Uh, he thought about committing suicide but uh, he never quit. He kept going. Then he opened Matsuisa in, in LA. And after, you know, uh, after Alaska, he went through South America where he got all this uh, South American Peruvian influence on his cuisine. So somehow I think he reinvented the, not only Japanese food, but also the whole concept of uh, of dining. He he invented the not the fine dining, but the fun dining concept. 
Yep. And the fusions so, different places. Yeah, that's true. Exactly. And I think like some of the everything comes from his from his will to do better, to I mean the the history behind some of the thesis of uh, somebody didn't like a uh, raw fish, so he put some he sheared the salmon with some very hot oil and sesame, so it was like a carpaccio. So some of these issues, he, he, he came from him always uh, try to please the, the guest and never give up on a, on a customer. That's true. I appreciate you explaining that because it's really important, I think, because I've worked in the Nobu for a little bit, but you've been there as a lifetime guy, so I always love hearing it from you all. But let's get back to you taking care of guests, right? So you're now the bartender at the Nobu in London. Your English, so-so. So-so. <laughs> right? So what's it like when you start working there? Well, it's fun because, uh, I mean, some of the people you know, they're like, oh, this guy plays, you know, as a Spanish-European, we love uh, football, soccer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all of a sudden you have the, you know, a Madrid player, a, a Chelsea player, a Man United player. But then I had the other, like, uh, people that were famous, and I had no clue they were famous. And I will talk to them like uh, like once I had uh, Paul McCartney sitting at the bar. And back in the day, people will come to the bar. Mm-hmm. And, you know, let's say they order a drink and you ask for the name of the reservation so you could charge it to the table, right? So I had no idea who this guy, very nice guy, and says, excuse me, can you please give me the name of your reservation so I can charge it to your... And he says, sure, my name is McCartney. <laughs> and I start writing, I'm like... How do you spell that? <laughs> like MC, I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. You're going too fast. You think you can write it yourself? <laughs> and the guy was like cracking up, like Paul McCartney. It's like, okay, I'm Santiago Rodriguez. <laughs> <laughs> and then the GM came to me, it's like, what's wrong with you? This guy from the Beatles, uh, and you're asking him to write his own name because you can't. That's but amazing. It was really so genuine that the they all, I mean, they were all very nice to, to me. Yeah, I'm sure he loved it. And he's like, man, the one guy who doesn't know who I am. I no, found him. My cabinet said, how do you spell that name? So, <laughs> it was a, it's a good time. So I love it. So you're in London. You're growing in the bar scene. You're making celebrities feel special by not knowing them. And then where do you keep going? How long were you in London? I was there for like uh, three or four years. And then I moved to Paris to open Novo in Paris. And so you start this journey now with Nobu, which I love seeing. You were there for 13 years, the first round, right? Correct. And so you go to Paris. Where else do you go after that? From Paris, I moved to Miami. Right. We opened the, the first Nobu in Miami at the Short Club. And that's where I became familiar with Nobu because I was coming around that. What what year was that that you were there? It was like in the 90s, 2000. like 90s, 2000s? 2002, all the way to 2012. Yep, so I remember going there 2002. It was packed, you know, for back in the day. It was like looking around the room again, famous people everywhere. I remember the day I was there, it was like Jessica Simpson was on a date with John Mayer, and there was paparazzi at the time all outside everywhere. And the place uh, was, was packed, you know, it was nuts. That was the best experience. Also, as a bartender, you work in Europe for a salary and tips that may represent 2% of your income. It's, uh... And then all of a sudden you bartender in the States and every time you make a drink, people throw you five bucks, two bucks. I was like, wow, 
what I've been doing all my life, wasting my time in Europe. Wow, so I didn't know that. So go. So when you leave London, you go to Paris. It's same thing, salary. Yeah, right? yeah, always get paid. And then you come to Miami. How did you end up in Miami? Why did they? How did you make that? We're opening the restaurant there, and they thought it was a good idea that the, although my English wasn't great, my Spanish is very good. So, you know, Miami, as we say. Uh, Spanish life, American money. So mm -hmm. I said, okay, you're a little bit of a hustler. Uh, we're having some issues in Miami, running the whole place. So why don't you go do your thing, manage the bar, but, but you know, a little bit of everything. So, and that's where I started. 2002, Miami was like, uh, Novo Miami was like the hottest place in, in Florida. It was packed every yeah. day. And it was such a, such a, such a good Lesson two, because uh, you remember it was inside the short club. Yes. It was probably the ugliest restaurant and bar in the whole planet. Yeah. I mean, explain, explain what it looked like. Because you walked in, it was basically, you're in, you walk into the hotel and you're in the bar. Yeah, exactly. Actually, that that, that bar is supposed to be a, a hotel counter. The front but desk. We the potential, we converted overnight into a bar. We just, you know, we talked to all my... <laughs> All my Latin brothers from engineer and hey, I need to put a connection here. And in two days we had a bar. A year later the bar was making millions. So and yeah, was, we had we had such a great team working. Adrian Canatello, who is now, by the way, he's uh, the video the official, he's the guy who does all the video all the videos and all the images for, for the company. Uh, Jack Colombo. We have, uh, I mean, we have like a people that were so good. Jeff Thomas, right? Jeff Thomas working in the kitchen. He, mm -hmm. by the way, Thomas started with the at the center and me in London. So, All right, so Chef Thomas is the corporate chef for Nobu and is not Japanese, but is probably the most Japanese person from England that oh, I ever met. In the UK. <laughs> right? So <laughs> amazing. I didn't know you guys started there at the same time. So that's yeah, cool we to see. started both of us in uh, in '98 in London. And that's something I want to bring up as we keep continue going. So you're in Miami and you stay there for 12 years, is what you're saying? No, no, you. What happened after the bar did so well in Miami, the Nobu and the, the partners, uh, especially uh, Mayor Tepper, I don't know if you met, they say, well, these guys are killing it here. So from now on, every time we build a new restaurant, we need to put a bar and these guys, they need to run it for us. So a year later, I was in charge of all the bar beverage program for the for the company. I love it. So this is what I love about hospitality, right? So if I'm tracking this the right way, in a matter of like six years, you went from housekeeper at the Four Seasons, right, to running the bar program for Nobu restaurants, right? By the way, housekeeping is still the hardest job I ever done in my life. Mine too. That was actually one of the reasons I started my new company because I saw how hard it was and they were having us do that. Right. As executives, we were helping the housekeepers and I had a full roster of rooms. I thought, man, this is, I respect all the people. I want to help as many of them as possible. They have, so this uh, this uh, team, they have so much pressure on them. And if you think about it, it's almost like the dishwashers on the restaurant. Without them, nothing works. It's true. And there's so many people that we've interviewed on this podcast, general managers that start as dishwashers. We've counted four already. And now you, housekeeper, you have the other side of the backbone of hospitality. So it's amazing to see. 
So now you're opening the bars, right? Let's get back on track. You're you're opening the bars for Nobu, mm-hmm. and you start going around the world doing this, or is your home base yeah, Miami? I'm going around the world. I opened the ones in uh, Melbourne, Perth, Hong Kong, uh, Budapest, Moscow, good times, uh, everywhere, <laughs> Dubai, Doha, everywhere. Now, what I was always impressed with, and so for listeners, I've worked in restaurants, really in hotels my whole career since I was 18. But the first time I ever started working in Nobu, I was so impressed because you cannot become a manager, right? Get me correct if I'm wrong. You cannot become a manager unless you started off basically as a buser, server, and move on your way up. Yeah, right. that's that's correct. And so you have people like Santi and others that have been there 20, 25 years since the beginning, and they've all started as servers. And so I was always so impressed by that because I don't see that anywhere else. I don't know of anyone else that's like that. That's that's why it's important we understand how Nobu or Chef Nobu, uh, not only, I mean, both the man and the company, because everything comes from his mentality of always, you know, he treats, he treats his team like a family. So always give the chance to the people, always help people to do better, always help people to grow. And sometimes uh, when people make mistakes, and trust me, I've done plenty of those, some stupid mistakes, before before he gets upset, he always asks you, why? Why you did that? Why you didn't come to me first? Why? So his approach to hospitality, well, I mean, the, the proof is in the pudding. We have uh, people working with us for 25 years now. No, everywhere. And it's not yeah. just in one place, it's everywhere. So, you know, I wanted to bring this up because you open up Nobu's around the world. You're doing it amazing but then you decide to to make a move to leave the nobu yeah I, what happened there well i started as a bartender bar back in london in park lane 2012 not only the bars i was in charge of all the i was the director of operations for the whole company so i felt that uh, i started from the very bottom i reached the top on the company i mean of course uh, Above me, they were the, the owners only. So yeah. I felt like uh, I needed to do something else. So I started a few business in Miami. And what did you end up starting in that role? Because you were there for you're just kind of doing your business for a little bit. What was it? I opened three different business. One was a restaurant, a small restaurant in Brickell. One was a restaurant, club, uh, pub, uh, more like a fun place. And the third one, it was a boxing gym in Wynwood. Oh, back then there wasn't too much of Wynwood. That's amazing. Yeah, back, then, back then we did the we did the whole thing. I hope the city of Miami is not listening. We did everything <laughs> with no permits, no. Yes. <laughs> we rented a warehouse with my brother Matt Bayamonte, the greatest, and we just built the gym ourselves. <laughs> so what was it like? Because you were with Nobu, right? You grew. You became director of operations of this mega restaurant operation. And then you start your own business. That's two different worlds, right? A lot of people don't understand oh, yeah, being yeah, an executive yeah. in one place versus being an owner. It becomes different. What did you notice being the biggest difference? Well, I noticed that it's so hard to make a dollar when you are the owner. And it's so easy to lose a million. <laughs> <laughs> I think that the the way, number one, I gave, again, even more respect for Nobu and his partners of, well, these guys that really made it. And it gave me a different angle of how to how to run operations. Uh, some of the business ended well, some ended bad. 
And at the end, I kept only the boxing gym until the lease was over. And when the lease expired, we, we left. And then I, I moved to LA to become the director of operations for Mr. Chow. Yeah, so I was excited to ask you about this because I don't think I ever talked to you about this when we worked together. So you work with Nobu, big name, and then you go to Mr. Chow, probably the biggest name in Chinese restaurants, right? Yeah. What was that experience like? Did you have something you were thinking it was going to be like, oh, it's going to be like Nobu, or was it completely different when you got there? I would say completely. I mean, at the end, I think they have, they are the same. They are the same because they both went through a lot. People, they only see now how all these guys, they have a great life, they fly private, blah, blah, blah. But they both, uh, the story of the history, the story of Mr. Chow is actually pretty, you know, the guy went through a lot. He had, he had to work very hard. He moved from, from China to London when he was uh, 12 to study. Then his uh, parents, they, they got arrested and disappeared in China through the whole political and although he has a reputation of being very, you know, very difficult to work with, uh, I love my time working with him because he's such a, he's so smart. He can break any problem in the planet, okay, any problem into little pieces and solve it one by one by one by one. And eventually he will solve the problem. I love that. Right. It's like a way to look at things. Just chunk it down. Yeah, he's like, wait, wait, wait. Every time you go, like, you know, we go through issues, uh, lawsuits, whatever. So, no, no, wait, wait. Write it down the problem, break it down. Let's go one by one. And actually, it was great working with him. And then I left uh, to join the Spanish group as a partner. We opened some restaurants in Ibiza, uh, Madrid, and, and Miami. And now they open in Beverly Hills. But it was so great because it's not like I wasn't happy with Mr. Chow, but I wanted to be closer to Spain somehow. Mm-hmm. I told him that I was leaving. He was so very generous with me, my my last paycheck to show appreciation. And the day we opened the restaurant in Miami, he sent me a big uh, bouquet of uh, of white roses with a wow. note from the Mr. Chow. Congratulations, all the best. I'm impressed, right? Because he had his restaurant right down the street from where you had your restaurant. Yeah. But he's a he's a true gentleman. Man, I love to hear that, right? Because you sometimes you leave places and it's not that way, right? You you've yeah. heard the crazy stories. I mean, people, of course. Listen, at the end, he has to look after his business. Uh, people always think we always think sometimes us as managers, we think that uh, we're the most important part of the business. So when you work for Nobu. The only person that really matters is Chef Novo, period. The rest of us, they can replace us tomorrow. You cannot replace Chef Novo. When you work for Mr. Chow, the most important person is Michael Chow. But sometimes we, we because maybe happen to, we think, oh, this place is running because I'm here. No, this place is running because there's a big name and years of experience behind. So, yeah, you're doing a great job. Uh, that's why you're getting paid. But tomorrow you decide to leave. Listen, I left Nobu in 2012. Uh, I came back in 2018, six years. They opened 18 restaurants and 10 hotels. So apparently they managed. <laughs> yeah, they did okay without you. And, they, uh, they, but now this is where I want to hear, right? Because I always love these kind of stories where you come back to where you start. So you're a partner in this group. 
you know, you want to be connected to Spain. You do some things here. I remember your restaurant in Miami was a beautiful place. But then you come back. Why, why make that jump back? How did that happen? Well, uh, one thing I learned with business is uh, sometimes partnerships are not that easy. And again, maybe I'm not an easy partner myself either. And one of my best friends in, in L.A., uh, he was also my immigration lawyer, <laughs> the great Israeli Eli Rich. One day he told me, if uh, having a partner was a good thing, why God has no has no partner? It's <laughs> good advice. So we reached a point where we started going through some disagreements. So I thought, you know what? Better for me to live now, take my part, we part ways, thank you, bye-bye, because... You know, it's not a good, uh, it's not a good feeling. Yes. So when uh, Trevor and Struan, the CEO and CEO of No Hospitality, find out I was leaving the restaurant group, they call me and say, what are you going to do next? I said, well, first I'm going to take some time off. And then I had a couple of offers in one in Hong Kong, one in Singapore. And say I'm not in the rush for, you know, maybe I take a few months off and then we'll see. So they said, well, why don't you come back to the to the company? Did you know them from before? Yeah, yeah. I know I know Trevor. Trevor, he was the CEO of the Metropolitan Hotel where Novo was in the, in London. So I know Trevor since wow. 98. Small world. So I said, well, I would love to come back to the company. Uh, because one thing with Novo is almost like uh, once you work for Novo, it becomes like part of, you know, it's like you leave, but you never leave. You're always like, how they doing? Uh, I don't know. It's uh, especially for those that we started back in the day. It was only two restaurants. And we saw the company doing so good. I think there's always a part of us in the company. So anyway, uh, I say yeah, I would love to come, but there's only two conditions. Number one, all the partners they have to agree with me coming back. It can be like because at the end of the day, I understand now. I learned what a real business is, so I understand that. As a business owners, they're not one of them. They say, why do I need him back, right? So number one, they all have to be agreed that. And again, if one of them, they say, no, I'm okay. And number two, I want to go to the hotel side. I want to go to the hospitality. And they say, they say, well, what do you know about hotels besides your housekeeping experience? <laughs> I say, well, I don't know much, but you're going to do me an executive uh, training and you're going to pay for my master's in Cornell. <laughs> so, yeah. And so they did. <laughs> that's a good deal, you know? And that's where I was curious about how you made that change from the restaurants to hospitality, right? Because, you know, for, for the people listening, I had a, a short stint. I wish it actually longer. It's actually one of my favorite brands to have worked for was Nobu Hospitality. You know, I think it was maybe not the right timing and the right place for me, but I remember you. That was a great thing. I got to meet Santi. So my first day, you know, I'm assistant food and beverage director. I wasn't food and beverage director yet. Assistant food and beverage director, I get in the lay of the land and I see this guy making coffee behind uh, the coffee bar and the sweatpants <laughs> t-shirt like early, early in the morning, like 6.30 or 7 in the morning. And I'm like, can I help you, sir? I, can, I didn't know who he was. And he's like, oh, no, I work here. And I was like, oh, okay. And then we started talking and that's my first memory of you was up early, getting your coffee and makes it a beautiful cappuccino. And it was just a great first impression, just high energy, taught me so much about the brand. And I always loved working with you. I wish we would have had more time because he was in his training and then he they shipped him off to go, I think, to Barcelona. I'm not sure where you went after that. Yeah, then, then they sent me to Shoreditch first for a few months. 
Barcelona to open the the hotel here. So working in the that hotel, the reason I wanted to bring that up is you really learned a lot about Nobu and who he was and Kokoro, right? And caring from the heart and treating people with respect. And that you saw clear from Trevor and Struin to you. It was just like you could talk to anybody anywhere there. And I wish we'd have spent more time together. That's something I look back on for you and I. Well, um, as you say, it was, a, it was a tough spot for you because the yeah. whole Miami deal and it wasn't, you know, but uh, for sure, uh, it would be great if you could stay longer with us and, I spend more time because uh, it's actually good working with you to see your perspective. Like you are a little bit like Mr. Chow. You were very <laughs> analytic on everything. And I love working with people like, you know, yeah, you have to follow your heart, but that's when you realize that the heart without the numbers behind, it doesn't make a lot of sense. That's true. That's true. Who knows what will happen down the road, but for you, you got to, to learn the hotels. What was something you saw the difference? Cause there's a big difference now, right? Like, me, I got, you know, I got promoted food and beverage director, but I could never break into Nobu restaurants because of you have to start from the bottom and work up, right? The hospitality is a little different where you can come in and make an impact, but you still have to be part of that brand. What, yeah. what do you see it as? How do you see that difference? Because you really are a part of both. Well, I think I think my the major role, it was like uh, bringing together the hotel and the restaurant brand because, you know, sometimes, the, you know, restaurants, they operate a little bit different than hotels. And when you are under the same umbrella, uh, you represent a brand. You don't represent a hotel or a restaurant. So I guess uh, they like to have me as being the link between both parts. So trying to explain the so-called hotel people, how the restaurant works and explain the restaurant people how the hotel business works. So everybody can understand each other. I I believe in people understand things. I mean, mm-hmm. I understand everybody's, you know, I can understand everybody's point of view. But at the end, if you're a client and you walk into a Nobu hotel with a Nobu restaurant, you walk into the Nobu brand. So you expect the same quality of service and the same quality of the product in both the restaurant and the hotel. Yes. So for that, everybody needs to work together and everybody needs to understand what what's the other person doing, doing so they can help each other. Yeah, it's interesting because the hotel we were in was tough. You had a Nobu tower, I guess you'd say, and then an Eden Rock tower. And so it was two different things going that on was, at once. That was, over, over, that was like on top of that, you have another hotel. Right. Plus a Nobu restaurant, but I like that lifestyle, right? Because the Nobu lifestyle, the rooms, the product is still one of the best I've ever seen. And I think, you know, because now I'm in vacation homes too. I would love to see Nobu get into that world too, where you have like lifestyle vacation home. It'd be awesome. Well, you kind of have that in Malibu a little bit. We will get there. I mean, the yeah. hotel the hotel we are opening in San Sebastian is only 20 rooms right mm-hmm. on the beach. Oh, so um, like that. I think we did a pretty good job bringing that because at the end of the day, the Nobu brand, is a food and beverage brand. It's a uh, it's a kitchen brand. Yes, I think we did pretty good translating that into the hospitality or hotel side of the business. I'll make sure I'm. You can send me there if you need me to check things out for you. Please, we'll bring the podcast over there and make sure we do a live from there. Okay. So now you're back in the hotels. You you land in Miami Beach. We spent some time there. You go to Shoreditch. Now you're in Barcelona. You've had 
yeah, just a challenging time there, right? You right. get there, so many crazy things. How's it going now? What's, what, what's your life like? in the hotel. Uh, in the meantime, I, was, uh, I spent a lot of time in uh, Saudi Arabia, helping with the openings of the hotels and restaurants there. I spent a lot of time in, in Poland, in Warsaw. We opened the hotel and restaurant there in 2020, and we did very good right after, right during the middle of, in the middle of the pandemic. Uh, and again, that was one of these openings where we cannot fly people from everywhere because the whole travel restrictions. So seven o'clock in the morning, you're doing housekeeping. 1 p.m. you're doing the front desk. 5 p.m. you're doing the restaurant. But everybody was doing the same. Everybody was pushing and helping. So it was a great experience. So what's uh, next up for you? What, what comes next now that you're doing so many things? Well, I eventually... Uh, since we are opening Madrid and San Sebastian, I will focus a lot in those two. Especially San Sebastian is very close to my hometown. So try to focus on those two and maybe more into the operation in Europe and, and let the new generations uh, do all the traveling around. <laughs> Smart. <laughs> Smart, man. I like, I like to stay in San Sebastian working on the beach with, my, with Marta, my... Italian girlfriend and with my dog. So it's a beautiful it. life. It's a beautiful life. Well, now I want to just kind of wrap on this question. You've been truly around the world. You've been working for amazing brands, amazing teams. You've seen so much. If you could go back to talk to 14 year old Barback Santi and he was starting out today, what would you tell him? Probably not much. Because it's, I mean, yeah, it's easy to say, oh, don't do this, don't do that. But from the but mistakes, you learn more than, you know. So I, would say, I mean, to be honest, I would say, uh, scotch on the rocks, please. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I pour, love it. Pour one for yourself. No, because if you think about it, everything, listen, I, I had my ups and downs in business, made money, lost money. But everything became part of the of the learning curve. So yeah, sometimes I made a lot of money. Sometimes I lost a lot of money. You know, it's like in business, uh, and when you lose money, you can just sit down in the chair crying. Oh, I lost money. My partner. You know, you had to see okay, what I did wrong myself. What what am I in this situation now? And make sure you don't make the same mistake twice, and and move on. When you walk through fire, keep walking. What are you gonna do? So, but those those situations that are the you know the the ones they they make your character stronger. They make you realize that you're human, and they make you realize that yeah, you one day you were the director of operations of Nobu uh, restaurants worldwide. But the day after, you can be uh, how I'm gonna pay this mortgage? The mortgage. So things you have to be ready for everything. And when you are very good, when people, when you're on the top, you're not as good as people make you believe you are. And when you're at the bottom, you're not as bad as people may make you feel. When you are always a great company, when you're on top, when you're a manager, director, a lot of people become your friend. But listen, let's uh, have people that only text me, hey, how you doing? The answer is, what do you want on the table? Yeah. you know them 
I get that. It drives me crazy, right? Um, you know those people. Time is the money, God bless them. Mm-hmm. If tomorrow you go, they say, oh, I need a table in Malibu. Oh, I'm no longer in the company. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear. Who is the new guy? <laughs> <laughs> that's right. So. Listen, I think that's great good, advice. It's a good reality check. I love that. I think it's a great advice and a, and a good spot for us to end our conversation. You've been very generous with your time, Santi. I know how busy you are. If somebody would like to connect with you and maybe learn more about you, is there anywhere we can send them? Yeah, of course. Uh, you have my LinkedIn, email, anything, please. All right. And listen, I would tell you to do it. He's a great person. If you have the chance to work with him, make sure you do. You'll learn it so much and you won't regret it. Santi, I appreciate you so much for joining us. The man with no name on his business card. Just uh, no Mr. Title, no name. title. The name, but no title. Sorry. Santi, the man with no title at Nobu Hospitality. I appreciate you very much. Thank you very much, Steve. This podcast is brought to you by Biscayne Coffee. Biscayne Coffee was founded with a giving spirit and a big idea to enjoy delicious coffee roasted in Miami while helping save Biscayne Bay and the animals that live there. As a former food and beverage director, I can assure you these are some of the best quality beans on the planet. 10% of every coffee sold is donated to nonprofits to help preserve Biscayne Bay for all to enjoy. Visit BiscayneCoffee.com today and use promo code MENTOR at checkout to save 10% on your first order. Drink good coffee and create a good outcome. This podcast is a Hospitality.fm production.